It's Friday. We are nearing the end of the LCS series. We think, we think, Shawnee with a little more on that later on in the show. But because of no Thursday night football bags, I've got a little more, you know, hunger for the NFL this coming weekend. How are you, bud? I'm good, man. Yeah, it felt like something was missing yesterday as we were slogging through 12-hour baseball games. It would have been nice to have something else to turn on. Um, so, yes, looking forward to Sunday, maybe even more so. Yeah, we had the game Tuesday. Let's not forget. But but Sunday can't come soon enough, man. Yeah. It's Honorado and Bagnardi. Our guest today coming up at 1 o'clock is Anthony DiComo, a reporter for MLB.com. He's got a new book out as well called The Captain, a memoir. If you've not yet shopped for Sean's birthday, which is a little more than a week old at this point, He's a big David Wright fan, big Mets fan. We'll give you his address off the air. You can send him a uh, Looking forward to talking with Anthony about that and the series we've we've seen so far in the playoffs, but, but certainly uh, the book here. All right, Beggs, let's get into the NFL here. There are some, some good games. I would say it's not a great Sunday slate coming, but the, the marquee games, right, the ones that everybody's going to get on TV nationally – they're all really good in my mind. Here are our games to watch this coming weekend, and it's the headliner for me, and I know we're going to look at Kansas City Buffalo too, but it's Rodgers and it's Brady. It's the Packers and the Bucks Sunday at 425, man. I'm with you. That's the one I'm most looking forward to also. Um, now, I love the fact that the Kansas City Buffalo, I mean, that's a Monday night almost pre-game. You know, having these having a doubleheader on Monday night's awesome. And, and frankly, that's a better Monday night game. But the fact that this one will be even be over really close, you know, close to before the, the regular Monday night game begins, that's awesome. Uh, but I'm with you. This is the matchup for me. Despite the two, you know, the Kansas City Buffalo both being four and one, I think this is the best matchup because you said it, man. I mean, th- these are the guys we've been watching for the last how many years in football? We know Brady's still got it. We know Rodgers has still got it. And this team is is great this season. This is the game to watch this week. And they're two guys who rarely face one of those. This will be their third right. meeting. They've been in the league forever. This will be their third meeting they've split. The, the two home teams have won both previous matchups. This game is being played at Tampa Bay. But the Packers are coming off a bye week. Mm-hmm. And although Alan Lazard won't play, he had surgery for a core muscle a couple of weeks back. Devontae Adams really was ready to go a couple of weeks ago in his mind, and he made that very clear on Twitter, a tweet he later deleted. But he'll be back after the bye week, rested, ready to go, I can only assume. And I have to think this Packers offense continues to roll. It's just, what does Brady do against Green Bay's defense, a defense really that if you're if you're watching this game, watch the line of scrimmage more than you do the secondary because Green Bay gives up chunk yards on the ground, 4.7 yards per carry, I think is the number. And so Tampa's got a stable of running backs. Look out for how Green Bay handles the Bucks' run game. But this is the game of the week for me. I think the Packers win. I'm being biased, yes, but I do think at this point they're the best team in the NFC, even slightly ahead of the Seahawks right now. For the way Seattle's defense plays and struggles. So give me the Packers in this one. Yeah, I'm still on Seattle as the best team in the NFC. But what I wanted to ask you about with this, because you mentioned it, that the head-to-head matchup, I don't put as much stock in that when we're talking about quarterbacks. Because, 
Like if you're looking at head to head of like LeBron and Giannis, okay, now you got something there. But obviously these two guys don't really face off against each other. I mean, it's Rodgers against the Tampa Bay defense in this case and, and vice versa with Brady against Green Bay's. How much stock do you put into the head-to-heads when it comes to the quarterback position? None. I don't put stock in it. Look, and I'm not going to, but I'll never shy away from making the reference to a record or comparison in some way. Quarterbacks don't face one another. Pitchers don't face one another. Even the LeBron and Giannis comparison bags falls flat for me because there's still four other guys on the court. Like Giannis could have a great supporting cast. but if they don't beat the Lakers, well, maybe maybe it is just because LeBron's the best player on the planet. To me, we're talking about individual, we're talking about team sports. If you want to get into like Federer's record against Nadal or Djokovic sure. against Nadal, I'll I'll buy all. But these head-to-head, so-called head-to-head, like Peyton Manning struggled forever against Tom Brady. But but it wasn't Tom Brady, it was Bill Belichick's defense Manning couldn't quite figure out. So we make the marquee head-to-head comparisons, even though I'm with you, I don't think it holds a lot of water. The only thing I would say about basketball is you're going to at least get the chance to see them potentially yeah. try to guard each other. You know, you could get a – and you, it could happen in, in football where, you know, like we see guys go head-to-head in basketball even though they're not, like, matched up against each other. Like LeBron comes down, hits a big shot. Then Jimmy Butler comes down, hits a big shot. And it feels like the two of them are going yeah. at it. You can get a little bit of that in football, I suppose. But, yeah, it's it's way different. And these guys, it's not like Brady is going to go out there and pick Rodgers, you know. Right. Or get, or get pressure on him. Nobody picks Rodgers, by the way. Nobody. 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, I got Jeff from back home. We need games every day. Listen, the NFL has tried. Okay. I mean, they've they've pushed this thing Sunday, Monday, Thursday. They're they're filling up the week as as best they possibly can. Um, we get two baseball games tonight. We'll dive into that later on. Anthony DeComo from MLB.com will join us. Uh, Bags, we talked about a little bit here. It's a 5 o'clock kick on a Monday, which is awesome. Love it. Chiefs, Bills, and then you get the next game. We'll get to it here in a second with Arizona and Dallas. Um, but Chiefs, Bills, man, where are you on this Buffalo team? Are they legit contenders in the AFC and will this game, six weeks into the NFL season, change your mind or tell you anything about Buffalo you don't already think? Yeah, it could. If they go out and beat Kansas City, then look out. I mean, keep in mind, Kansas City, they're the Super Bowl champions, and they're coming off what a loss to the Raiders, right? So they're going to be looking to bounce back yeah. in a big way. And it's a chance to really make a statement because it's against another 4-1 team. It's on a Monday night, it's the only game on, and at that time, everybody's going to be watching it. And I think those are the kind of moments where the best teams really thrive, and we know that they are one of the best teams. So I think it's going to be a big bounce-back game for Kansas City, and this will be a blowout. I mean, we saw Buffalo get destroyed against Tennessee, and Kansas yeah. City's even better. So now that they're now you're playing the big boys, um, I think we're going to really see Buffalo get exposed a little bit. At the end of the day, this is a playoff team, especially with the expanded uh, playoffs. But what are they? They're probably, you know, a first-round knockout for me at the end of the day. Uh, and they, they need Josh Allen to stay healthy because the way he plays, 
he puts himself at risk a little bit too much yep. for me. And I, I get worried about him. If he goes down, then, then this team is totally done. So overall, yes, if they come out and win the game, then I'll reevaluate them. My opinion might be changed, but the, the Tennessee loss didn't really shock me either. Okay. Um, and Tennessee had gone how many days without practicing or, or playing a, a football game? Uh, Le'Veon Bell not expected to play Monday night for the Chiefs against Buffalo, but but his first opponent will be a week after that. We'll get into that here uh, in a little bit on Honorado and Bagnardi. I'm on Kansas City here too, um, but the Bills winning wouldn't surprise me. At home, knowing what day and time this game is going to take place well in advance as opposed to on Saturday of last week thinking, are we even going to play this game against Tennessee? When are we traveling? What, what exactly is the plan here? A little bit too much uncertainty for me uh, to, to take that Titans game and say, yep, that's really who the Bills are. But I, I still think Kansas City, I think closer – than what you think, though, in, in Buffalo on, on Monday afternoon. Rams-Niners here. Does this do anything for you on Sunday night? The Rams are 4-1. and one. The NFC West might be the best division in football, but San Francisco is an interesting case here because they don't really seem to know what they want to do at quarterback. This idea that we're removing Jimmy Garoppolo from the game to avoid further injury or, or to sit, give me a break. Okay, every single game in the NFL matters all 16 of them you don't think you know what let's worry about next week unless you're unless you're just absolutely getting killed and when they took Garoppolo out they weren't getting killed yet yeah it didn't look good for San Fran but the game was not out of hand this is clearly a case of a head coach thinking boy maybe Garoppolo's still a little banged up from the ankle injury he suffered at MetLife Stadium or maybe he just doesn't give us the best chance to win right now boy that seems hard to believe but Look, I'm with you. This San Francisco team, and I know they obviously had their injuries, but they they feel a long way away from the team that was in the Super Bowl. And the Rams are really good. I think the Rams, this 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 is like a bounce back year for them to just be – I think they're going to win the division. And I, I think – I, I get it. I know Seattle's there. I think this Rams team is going to win the division now. So that that's not my bank on it. But I'm going there because I think they're going to find a way through. I think they're going to beat Seattle, you know, once. And Seattle, Seattle's an interesting team for me. They've been really good. I think right now they're the best team in the NFC. But I think as the season goes on here, we're going to see a little bit of a change with Seattle. West Coast fan, Brian Perry weighing in from Los Angeles. Big Rams fan. Loves your prediction here, Bags. He's on. He's on the Rams with you. I don't know about winning the division, but certainly I like them to win this game against the 49ers. What about Arizona and Dallas? This do anything for you? Does a lot for me, I'll be honest, because I've got Arizona as a playoff team at the start of the season. This is a game now, especially considering Dak Prescott's done for the year. This is a game that Arizona needs to find a way to win. And the flip side for me, there's great intrigue because I wonder if this Dallas team can still win the division with Andy Dalton. I think it was a great offseason investment that may now really pay out signing Andy Dalton. Not that they ever thought Dak Prescott was going to hold out or that he wouldn't be the starting quarterback, but let's get Andy Dalton in here because maybe he puts a little pressure on Prescott. In this case, he becomes 
the safety net. I, I think this Cowboys team still wins the NFC East, even with Dak sidelined. Yeah, I, I, I agree they're going to win the division, but it's more product of the division than anything else. Not having Dak means this team will not win a Super Bowl, right? But yeah. because of that division, they'll be good enough to get to the playoffs, and maybe Manny Dahl even wins you a game. Who knows? But you're not going to win a Super Bowl without Dak Prescott. What does this game do for me? Boy, Arizona, yeah, they're interesting. They, they could be a, a outside shot at a wild card team for me, but because of how difficult their division is, I don't really focus on them too much. And without Dak Prescott, you know, this game doesn't do as much for me, I think, as it does for you. But I am curious, and I will be curious to see how Dallas performs the, the whole rest of the season without Prescott. So, you know, mild interest there. But again, at the end of the day, even if they perform well, don't see them able to get to that next level come postseason time without their QB. Anthony DiComo, MLB.com, coming up in 15 minutes here on Honorado and Bagnardi. Bags, who yeah. wins first? Here's the Giants' six-game slate in front of them. Washington, yeah. Philly, Tampa, Washington, Philly, Cincinnati. Now, if you were talking about any team in the NFL, even your most average team in the NFL, you would say there are at least three or four winnable games out of those six on your screen. Oh, sure. Where in that slate do the Giants win? The first one. They win this week. They're going to be Washington. That's where they win. So you think the Giants, I mean, clearly I'm thinking the Giants will then be the first of the 0-5 New York teams to win. Yeah. The Giants are better than the Jets, first of all. Um and yes, Washington, I mean, this this is your opportunity now to go out and get your first win. I think they're going to do it. They're at home. They're playing the other worst team in the division. So this is your chance to go out and get your first win. You're stealing some of my thunder because here I go. This is my back on it. Bank on it, bags presented by Capcom Federal Credit Union, 11 branches in the Capital Region, our sponsor here, of where Sean and I make predictions about what we know will happen. Not what we think, but what we know will happen. The pop-up bank on it. That like was a surprise bank on it. <laughs> I know a lot. Well, you, you took a little bit of my thunder here because I didn't think you were going to go with the Giants there. I, I know how you feel about Daniel Jones at times, but my bank on it, the Giants will win on Sunday. They'll get rid of the goose egg in the win column. They'll be one in five. They will beat the team that doesn't have a nickname, Washington. Yeah, I, it, you know, as much as I obviously agree with you since I just said the same thing, I think it's very risky to take a bank on it on a New York football team this year. Here are the bank on it so far, because you said we were going to keep track. So let's do it here. Let's be honest about our predictions. I said LeBron James would win NBA Finals MVP. And I know you look at me and say, well, yeah, anybody could have said that. We did it after game one when Anthony Davis had 34 points and looked like he was well on his way to being the guy leading the charge for the Lakers. Then I said the Astros 
would reach the World Series, and we made that prediction during the Division Series before we knew they'd play either the Rays or the Yankees and before we knew that they had even advanced past the Athletics. Right. They go down 3-0 bags to Tampa Bay, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm one for two on bank on it. But yeah. Houston is still alive game six uh, today at 6 o'clock between the Astros and the Rays. I'm going to stick with that one so far. So, so uh, what, inconclusive results so far out of my bank on right. it. Right. Still outstanding. And my bank on it. Bank on it. Banks on it. My bank's on it. Banks on it. Yeah. Um, I took the Heat to win game two in the finals. I was wrong. They won game three. They won game three. But I was wrong. Um, and I said that the the loss, the playoff loss game two for the Yankees was going to cost them the series. And I still think that was the case. Obviously, they didn't win the series. Yep. You can argue whether or not that cost them the series, but um, I still think it did. So I'm I'm one and one. And today we'll get to mine later. I got a good feeling that mine's going to come true today. Okay. Uh, where does the Jets' first win come? We've decided that the Giants beat Washington this Sunday. Where does the Jets' first win come? Miami, Buffalo, Kansas City, New England the Chargers, and Las Vegas. So the only really winnable game on here is the first one, right? They're not going to be Buffalo. They're not going to be Kansas City. They're not going to be New England. No. Chargers, maybe, probably not. Vegas, no. So I'll do it. I'll take them this week. Both New York teams – Get off the schneid. This week, the Jets get the win. So who wins first? I don't know. What They're both the games at one? No, Giants play right. at one, Jets play at four. Right, right, right. So the Giants will win, be the first New York team to win. The Jets will follow suit, though, just a few hours later by taking down the Dolphins in Miami. Now, how do you view Le'Veon Bell's role with the Jets over the last season and a third he was released by New York. He then signed with the Chiefs. Look out. And as we mentioned, Bell not expected to play Monday against Buffalo, but he, he should play the next week. And who do they play, Bags? The Jets. Right. right. Bye. And then they play the Jets. Right. So I Bell's know. first game with Kansas City should be against the New York Jets. Yeah. And you know what? Mahomes won't even throw a touchdown pass. He'll just run for 300 yards against him, and they'll just blow him out that way. Um, Bell. Now, Bell wasn't a problem to the point where you think, you know, his subtweeting of the team and him liking Instagram posts of other people. Do you believe that was a problem to the point where the the uh, the rest of the players will rally and find a way to now play well on Sunday because a quote problem may be gone, or is Gase the problem? I think Gase is the problem, the big problem. <laughs> Look, the, the Jets have a lot of problems, and I hate to dump it all on the head coach. But I, head coaches for me are about the solutions to problems that exist more than they are about being a problem themselves. It's about how well they can be a solution to other problems. And I just don't think he's the solution for this team. They've got a lot of problems. He doesn't seem to be the guy to be able to fix them, which is why I don't think he's the right fit for head coach. But at the same time, 
I don't think that removing him removes all your problems. Bell was obviously a problem, but he wasn't playing great. It wasn't a great fit. It wasn't a great fit. Obviously, he didn't want to be there in the end, and now he's not there. This doesn't do much for me when your team is winless. It just feels like this is kind of a thing that happens when you have star players and your, your teams aren't good. And it doesn't feel like it's a big loss for us because he wasn't able to perform well in this situation anyway. So it, it, this, this doesn't sting like a, like a cesspitous type of thing for me. It's on a different level. But not going to be rooting for the guy, I can tell you that much. Yeah, look, Adam Gase made it clear he didn't want Le'Veon Bell um, yeah. and then made it very clear he wasn't interested in finding the right ways to use Le'Veon Bell. The general manager didn't put together an offensive line that was going to open up any holes for Le'Veon Bell, let alone protect his franchise quarterback drafted number three overall just a few years ago. So I'm with you. There are some deep-rooted issues with this Jets team beyond the head coach, but I don't see any way this team find. I don't see any way this team wins games bags while Adam Gase is still the head coach. Why is he still the head coach? I don't know, man. I don't know. We asked Scott Hansen from NFL Network last week, like, hey, now that the Texans were the first team yeah. to move on, do we then kind of see a flood of? of NFL teams saying, you know, yeah, our guy isn't working either. We're at least not the first to dip our toes into the pool. Right. Let's, let's, let's move on, right, for the betterment. And this is – I'm Matt Torres here. Adam Gase is as useful as unsalted butter. Unsalted butter. Uh, good in cooking. Is it not unsalted butter? You would never put it on a bagel or an English muffin. You're asking the wrong guy, but probably is the answer to that. <laughs> yeah. So useless. I'm with you, Maddie. Yeah. Gase, it doesn't make sense to me that he's still there because even if you don't identify him as the problem, at some point the coach just becomes a fall guy in this kind of situation anyway. Oh so yeah. like, what what is taking so long either way you look at it? Because if you listen to people who are passionate Jets fans, and Matt Torres is one of them, the, the problem doesn't rise to Gase and stop there. Right. It goes beyond Gase and beyond Joe Douglas all the way to ownership. That's why. Yeah. So Maddie says, how does Dan Quinn not have a job right now? He was in a Super Bowl, but Adam Gase does. My, here's my thing on, on Quinn. Bad example to use only because Dan Quinn dug his grave a few times. Um, okay. His track record of, well, Gase was not exactly successful in Miami. I'll say this, Matt. Quinn's track record of not succeeding in Atlanta is deeper than Gase's in New York. If you don't take into account Miami, <laughs> then Gase, you know, Quinn had a long leash with the Falcons. But there was some level of success there, too. No question. Got, got to a Super Bowl. So that buys you that leash. Yes, I get Why you. Why Gase have a leash when there has been zero measure of success? Yeah, I mean, Gase probably shouldn't even, not probably about, he shouldn't even been hired as the Jets head coach if you're just looking at what he did in right. Miami. All right, let's take a quick timeout here. Anthony DeComo coming up here in a few minutes, but we've got some NBA news bags from the last few days. And I'm telling you, you talk about a head coach who is living a charmed life. Man, that is Ty Lue. That's next on Honorado and Bagnardi.
depressed, overworked, job sucks, underappreciated. When life sucks, just say Dilligaf. Our clothing line puts the F.U. back into fun. Nothing will give you greater satisfaction. Dilligaf isn't just an attitude, it's a lifestyle. Some people ride the crazy train, we drive that mother. Check out our selection at DillaGaffUSA.com. MLB.com reporter Anthony DiComo coming up here in a few minutes on Honorado and Bagnardi. But Bags, the NFL, uh, the, the NFL, the NBA news of the week is that the Los Angeles Clippers have a new head coach after they fired Doc Rivers, and Doc then gets hired by the 76ers. It's Ty Lu. It's Ty Lu and Chauncey Billups out of the broadcast booth is going to be his lead assistant. What do you think? I think that anybody who says, you know what's wrong with this team, Doc Rivers, let's get Ty Lue in here. What? I mean, Ty Lue an assistant. What? No, yeah. I understand that. But Ty Lue is, is, becomes the, the head guy. Don't I, what, is, what is it about Ty Lue? Is it that, I don't know. Is it that he just um, – Basically, lets the players run the show. Yes, I mean, it seemed like that was the case with LeBron in Miami. Like, you can just coach the team. Does Kawhi Leonard, who obviously had a problem with Rivers, think okay, let's just have a guy like Ty Lue be the head man so that I can just run the show because that's what I want anyway? Is that yeah. is that it? Is it as simple as what it looks like? Yes, I think so. I think Ty Lue gets the job because the players and and namely the stars. Kawhi and Paul George said, this is the guy we want. And you know what's so funny? Like, use any business model. You go to work. Who is the one person that everybody kind of seems to gang up on because it, it is sort of the, the morale-boosting rallying cry? Right? It's the boss, right? Yeah. And then who do you love? You love the person who's right beneath the boss or maybe even one below that too because that person can tell you all the things about yourself that you want to hear, right? Like, hey, I think you're doing a great job. I know you're catching a little bit of flack from up top, but I think you're doing a great job. We need you. We like you. There's no pre- – because that person isn't making the key decisions anyway. Yeah. So who do you love? You love the assistant coach because the assistant coach – isn't the hard ass. The assistant coach is the one who, after the head coach storms into the locker room, rips you a new you know what, a new you know what, leaves. Then the assistants say, All right, guys, you know who's gonna blow some steam. Here's what we got to do. They're the level-headed people of the bunch. So you yeah. love the assistant. That's what Ty Lu was. Kawhi and Paul George have this idea that, well, if Lou's the head coach, we'll just run the show. And I have no doubt, Bags, that they will run the show the same way LeBron did. Is that better for the Clippers, though? I mean, they obviously think it's better for them. Is that better for this team? Well, do you think LeBron ran the Lakers or Frank Vogel? LeBron. Okay, but that's LeBron. Do you think – 
Do you think that Steve Nash is going to run the Nets or will it be Durant and Irving? Yeah, Durant and Irving. But is that going to be better for them? I don't know. I think Kenny Atkinson would have been better for them. Well, I don't disagree. You and I are on the same plane here of thinking in terms of we like a head coach more in the way of a Popovich, right? A guy who's going to command respect and and players are going to follow that person's lead. But right. that is not the NBA in 2020 or 2021, clearly. I know. Yeah. I just don't know what you do for your own career, I guess, by being that kind of coach. Now, obviously, it's worked for Ty Louie. He got himself – he's stayed in coaching, and now he's got – yeah, I know we got championships now. And now he's got another head job in, in the league. But reputation-wise, like when we think about the great coaches of all time, the coaches who have won multiple championships, Ty Lue could – could do this his entire career, bounce around, win with LeBron, win with, you know, follow the stars and let the stars run the show and rack up rings. Are we going to look back on him as a good NBA coach? No, I get that we won't, but he will have made a lot of money and he would have won multiple championships if it follows the scenario you just laid out. At the end of the day, you can't take that stuff away from him. You may not say he's Phil or Red or Pop, but you know, if you win multiple rings, that and he's not going to be a Hall of Famer, but it isn't the worst thing in the world. I think here's what I'm getting at. If, you, if you're that guy, okay, and you win if and you win that way, what does that mean, like, for you? Like, how do you feel about – how do you feel about success in a job that you really didn't matter in? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That wouldn't sit well with me. Yeah, I get it. I get it. All right, Anthony DeComo, MLB.com, coming up here in 30 seconds on Honorado and Bagnard. He's got a new book out. It's called The Captain. Shawnee, this is right up your alley. Oh, yes. David Wright memoir. Anthony DeComo next on Honorado and Bagnardi. So, what does Capcom have that your bank doesn't? You'll love our lower fees and great rates and a team of financial experts who put you first. What's not to love? We even make it easy to switch. Visit us and open your account today. And find out what it's like to bank where you matter most. Uh, We're up to game six in the ALCS. Game five in the NLCS. Shawnee, you know my level of stress with Atlanta. Okay. We like to butt heads here as Braves and Mets fans. Chris Honorado and Sean Bagnardi with you here on Honorado and Bagnardi. I thought, you know what? Let's do bags a solid. Let's get a Mets beat reporter on the show. A guy who's got a brand new book out this week about David Wright. It's called The Captain, a memoir. And let's bring him in right now from MLB.com. It is Anthony DeComo. Anthony, man, it's good to see you. It's Chris Honorado. It's Sean Bagnardi. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for jumping yeah. on the show. Con- congrats on the new book, and, and we will certainly dive into that here. Um, but first of all, I want to ask about this Mets team and franchise overall. Let's just make the assumption, and you know better than I do, certainly, that Steve Cohen will be the new owner at some point this winter, and he will get to make some real decisions about this franchise. What is the first decision Steve Cohen should make? 
You know, it's funny because everyone assumes that Steve Cohen's going to come in and just immediately clean house <laughs> and sign Trevor Bauer and sign J. Terrell Muto and sign George Springer and sign 19 other guys. And that it's just going to be a completely different franchise on day one than it was in the final day of the of the Wilpon administration. And look, some of that might be true. Uh, I certainly can't sit here and predict that something that crazy is going to happen because I don't know Steve Cohen. I've never met Steve Cohen. He's a very private guy. Most people haven't met him. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I think the first move that we know of already, which is that he's going to hire Sandy Alderson as team president, hints at probably the more important thing for me, which is that you want to build a sustainable monster from the inside out. And yes, investing in free agency in big ways can be a part of that. But the, the bigger part is investing in all the infrastructure areas that, if not ignored, were not you know taken as seriously as they probably should have been over the past 10, 15 years, whether that's analytics, scouting and development, international, all sorts of things in that baseball operations arena that you can do better because if you can do all of those things the way that the Rays do them, but then you spend like the Yankees, then all of a sudden you've got that sort of sustainable winner. That's what the, the Yankees do do that well. I think the Dodgers do that really well. It's something that the Mets should be able to do. And now with some theoretical money coming in yeah. can do that. So I'm not sure to answer your question, it's one move necessarily so much as it's building just a stronger foundation now that they have the opportunity to do it. All right. So that being said, let's say the roster pretty much, you know, stays similar. What, based on the current guys, do you think is the biggest area of improvement the Mets need to make? Well, I, I, I think, you know, as much as I want to point to JT Realmuto, because I think that's the one that there's the, the biggest gap in opportunity cost there. If you don't get Realmuto at catcher, you're probably looking at a situation similar to what you had this year, where you're wondering about the production at that position. But that being said, I have to go with starting pitching. It's just the most important thing out there. It's the reason why the Mets didn't make the playoffs this year. And right now they have two starters. They have Jacob deGrom, they have David Peterson in, in terms of guys that you can feel comfortable giving a rotation spot heading into 2020. So, you know, it, it's an okay start. You're, you're never unhappy having the, having a two-time Cy Young award winner at the top of your rotation, but they need a lot more. They need multiple arms. Uh, so I'd be looking at Trevor Bauer. I'd be looking at going out and getting maybe Marcus Stroman back in. I'd be looking at maybe trying to steal Tanaka from the Yankees if you can mm. do something like that. Uh, there aren't a ton of arms out there this year, but the ones that are are there. If you can take one or two of those away from your rivals, then all of a sudden you're in a lot better position than you, than you look right now in October. Anthony, what, you bring up starting pitching as kind of the you know the focus of what the Mets offseason should be. Where where do you stand on? starting pitching in particular in today's game. We see the Nationals win the World Series last year right on the back of strong starting pitching. And if you look at, I guess, what's left of the playoffs here, save for maybe Tampa Bay, uh, who has started this trend of the opener and not, not putting so much emphasis on starting pitching, are we going back to where starting pitching is of real great value in the league? I don't think we've ever left that. I think when you see teams like the Rays do that, and I'm progressive. I like that stuff. Uh, we saw the Brewers do it with some success yep. last year into the postseason. Uh, but if you have five horses in your rotation who can go and pitch well for seven innings at a clip, 
once every five games, then you don't need to do that. You start doing that stuff when you don't necessarily have the horses to pull it off. Uh, so, you know, I, I think if you want to build the best team possible, it still starts with starting pitching. I think it's always going to start with starting pitching. And yes, how many teams out there have five horses? Probably none. So there's going to be a place going forward for openers. There's going to be a place for doing funkier things with your rotation. But the more you can kind of draw up a blueprint for your season that revolves around five guys and revolves around having them pitch regularly and start deep into games and not worrying necessarily about that path to 27 outs, quote unquote. And I'm talking about the regular season. Postseason is a different animal. Once you get there, you got to do some weird things sometimes. But for the regular season, for 162 games, if you can have a strong rotation of guys who you are confident setting out there and not having to worry about openers or anything else you might want to do, that's when you're going to be in the best shape. And that, that's where the Mets are not right now in good shape. How much emphasis would you put on improving the bullpen for the Mets? Because Chris will tell you, <laughs> it, it, it just drives me nuts. I, I have nicknamed Diaz Ed Luz Diaz instead of Edwin Diaz. Uh, Familia, <laughs> I can't trust Familia. I, I, these guys come in, and I feel like no lead is ever safe. No deficit is ever not in danger of increasing. Uh, how much emphasis would you put on strengthening that bullpen for the Mets? Look, I would put emphasis on it every single year, um, and not just for the Mets, for every team. I think it's important. I think relief pitching is very fickle, and you never quite know what you're going to get from year to year. So it is important to kind of bolster your ranks, and the Mets are losing a couple of key guys. They're losing Justin Wilson, who's been a big piece of this the past couple of years. Uh, we'll see about Dellen Batances, but even if he comes back on a player option, you know he certainly hasn't showed anything to make you think he can be a guy rely, that they can rely upon going forward. So, yes, I, I would I would, I would, would worry about it to a certain extent. But I wouldn't worry about it quite like I did a year ago. Uh, I do think this bullpen showed improvement. Uh, Edwin Diaz, Ed Luz Diaz, as you want to say, he was actually a, a really dynamic pitcher for most of the season. And, uh, you know, I, I think he can sustain some of those gains. He has the track record that shows he can do it. Uh, obviously, he has the tools. So if you've got Edwin Diaz at the back, that's a pretty good start. And I think some of these other guys, maybe Seth Lugo goes back to the bullpen. Uh, we're not sure if he's going to be a starter or a reliever long-term at this point, but I could certainly see him going back to the bullpen. Um, <clears throat> Familia hasn't had the greatest couple of years with the back with the Mets, uh, but is also a useful piece down there. So they've got kind of the infrastructure in the bullpen that you need. I would add to it, but as far as off-season priorities for the Mets, I would put that a distant third behind starting rotation, catching. And, you know, I'd also prioritize defense maybe in center field and, and see what you can uh, do going forward. Bullpen's on the list, but it's lower down the list than it has been in, in, in the recent past. The book is The Captain, uh, a memoir, and it's about David Wright. Uh, and Anthony, we're going to talk to you about the book here, which was just released last week. But before we do that, I want to hit on Jacob deGrom here and, and, Bags, this is your guy, I know. Back-to-back um, -back Cy Young Award winner in the National League, despite not getting, oh, the greatest run support that any starting pitcher has ever seen. But, Anthony, is there a parallel? Because in my mind, there is one here. But but for you, who's around this team all the time, is there a parallel between DeGrom and David Wright, who you wrote this book with, great all-time franchise-changing players who, despite, yeah, one trip to the World Series each, 
maybe just isn't going to be remembered as an all-time great simply because of the pieces that were around him during his time of greatness. Yeah, I, I think they're similar. I think David Wright and Jacob Grum are similar in that they are two of the most competitive people I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and they've got a little bit different personalities, but they're both, uh, you know, they're actually very good friends in real life, uh, you know, which is interesting because David Wright was already well into his career by the time Jacob DeGrom came up as a rookie, but they really bonded. They have, they have similar personalities in some ways, different in other ways. Uh, but the, the common thread there is that competitive streak, unlike everything, anything you've ever seen. I mean, they hate to lose. They hate to lose. Uh, Jacob deGrom looks like he just killed his puppy every time you know he loses a baseball game. And I think that's a big part- portion of what makes them great. I think it was David Wright, actually, who said, you know, Jacob deGrom doesn't want to beat you. He wants to embarrass you. And, and it's so true. He, he, he wants to be 100% perfect every time out. And obviously, that's not possible. But he's come pretty, pretty damn close, all things considering. So, you know, I, I think when all is said and done, they're already two of the greatest Mets in history. David Wright's probably the greatest position player in Mets history. Jacob DeGrom's on that Mount Rushmore of pitchers. He's probably what third best pitcher in the in Mets history. It might be second best by the time all is said and done. So yeah, they are they are two kind of legends of Queens already. And uh, I think it is that competitiveness that that kind of runs through both of their blood. So tell us about the book, man. You know, what was how did it come about that this was going to happen and, and get into sort of the genesis of that project? Yeah, I, I've I've covered David Wright since I was an intern at MLB.com back in 2007. So it, it's been a while. I covered almost all most of his career, um, both the good times and the bad times. And, you know, we, we developed a relationship along the way. I, I've we've got, I would say, probably similar personalities as well. Uh, we like to joke around in the clubhouse, things like that. And uh, because of that, I think we kind of, you know, developed a mutual trust. And when it came time for David's career to be over, you know, having watched this, I thought to myself, this is, I mean, this, this is a book. This is a guy who's a beloved by the fan base face of MLB popular throughout baseball, not just New York, but B he had this career that kind of lends itself to this narrative arc uh, coming on as this, you know, not the greatest prospect in the world, but a top prospect who ground, who, grinded his way up through the minor league ladder, who outworked everyone, made it a point to outwork everyone, made it to the biggest stage, turned into one of probably the five best players in baseball at his peak, and then was robbed of so much of that because his body just couldn't hold up to the rigors of it. So, uh, you know, watching that, watching him fight to get back in 2015, make it to the World Series, hit a home run, watching him fight just to play in one final game in 2018, and, and kind of seeing behind the scenes through this book process, all the things that he went through. I mean, to me, it was a no-brainer, a natural story. And so I, I approached David about it. We we talked about it. Uh, he was on board, and, and he wanted to be more kind of involved with it than I thought he would be, to be honest with you. And that's how it turned into an autobiography. And, you know, I, I think just going through it, working with David, who is a total pro, and kind of seeing things that I had already witnessed from a reporter's perspective, but then seeing them from a fan's perspective, or excuse me, from a, from the guy who lived it from David's perspective along the way, it was just a really cool to, to do that and to see that. And I like the way the final product turned out. I hope people are enjoying it who have bought the book and I appreciate all those who have, but it's uh, you know, if you're a Mets fan or even if you're a baseball fan, you know, David Wright for a long time was the guy. And, and I think, 
I think people appreciate him for that. I think people appreciate the way he comported himself throughout his career. And I hope that all of that shines through in, in the book. Bags, I don't know if I've told you this, but I saw when I was at Ithaca, I saw Winter B-Mets game and Wright was playing third and Reyes was playing short. Uh, and who the heck knew then? I mean, I know they, like you said, Anthony, they're highly touted prospects, but man, I mean, two just cornerstones of, of that franchise. And when you look at the franchise all-time lists in statistical categories, those two names are, are right up there. Um, Anthony, without giving up too much away from the book, um, what did Wright tell you about how... See what happens when you work from home? The doorbell rings. The dog... I'm just glad it's not on my end. Yeah. What did Wright tell you, Anthony, about how close he might have been to walking away through all of those injuries? He he wasn't, to be honest. And his whole thing was that he never wanted to reach the end of his career, look back and say to himself, gosh, if only I had rehabbed a little bit harder, if only I had done one thing a little bit differently, then I could have overcome these injuries. Then I could have made it back. Maybe not even to being that all-star caliber player again, but being a helpful piece for the Mets. If he could have added any little thing to his career, uh, he didn't want to ever have to look back and say, gosh, I, you know, I could have done it if only I had done X, Y, and Z. So he really poured himself into this and, and he kind of got to the point and it really wasn't until late until 2018, probably until I want to say mid to late August in 2018, when he said to himself, I can't do this. I physically cannot do this anymore. And that was an emotional time, obviously. And you'll read all about it in the book. But no, there was never a point where he said to himself, gosh, you know, my back hurts. You know, I don't think it's worth it at this point. He, he wanted to basically do it until his body failed. And he did it until his body failed, until his back failed. So there wasn't a point he loved it too much. He wanted to win too much. He wanted to win a World Series too much to ever just kind of walk away and take the quote unquote easy way out, despite you know the pain that he put himself through. So that, that's why a big part of why I think it's such an inspiring story, even if you're not a baseball fan, to see the value of hard work and, and what this guy was able to get out of it, I think is kind of an important lesson for, for all of us. What is something that most Mets fans you think don't know about David Wright, or maybe that you didn't even know until you started this project that you think Mets fans should know or would like to know about him? Now, one of the things that I found most interesting, and again, I, I've, I've covered him for the final 12 years of his career. So I had seen, you know, the highs on the field, the lows on the field. I watched the World Series. I watched the you know, a lot of the all-star games he was in, home run derby. I, I had seen that along with so many other people who had seen it on TV. What I hadn't seen was kind of the roots, how he was raised, the baseball uh, hotbed that he grew up in. And it wasn't a baseball hotbed, but it became one uh, with Ryan Zimmerman and Michael Kadire and the Upton brothers. And all of a sudden, this area that had really not produced very many professional baseball players all of a sudden was pumping out first round draft picks every single year. And you'll find in the book that that wasn't an accident. There were a lot of influences going on in that area that made that possible. So I think that seeing all of that, seeing, you know, kind of talking to his dad and his mom, uh, his brothers and, and understanding, you know, at the very beginning of the process, I went over to uh, his home in Virginia and, and we kind of interviewed everyone in his family. And it doesn't take long to talk to these people and realize that, 
the way the dude is is because of the way he was raised. So it was cool to kind of get that understanding. I don't think it will necessarily surprise every anyone, but you know, there are some fun stories about his childhood. There are some things you might not know about his, uh, you know, his formative years growing up in Virginia that I think are very cool and, uh, you know, might be something that a lot of, of fans of David Wright even don't know. Anthony, before we let you go, and again, the book is The Captain, a memoir about David Wright's career and, and his high level of competitiveness. Um, what was it like this year covering baseball games without fans? <laughs> It was interesting. It was interesting. I hope I never have to do it again. Um, you know, it was, I was fortunate to be able to go to the ballpark at City Field and see these games in person. And it was very weird at first. And by the end, you had kind of gotten used to it to the extent that you can. But it's baseball, professional sports, but baseball especially, it's just, it's just not the same. You can pump in as much fake crowd noise as you like, but it's just not the same. Uh, as when you've got 40,000, 50,000 people in a stadium screaming and, and getting pumped up at all the right moments and, and just having a good time at the ballpark. I mean, that's why they play. This is this is an entertainment business, as Sandy Alderson used to say all the time. Uh, you know, they do it for the fans. And if the fans can't be there in person, then you lose a certain something. So, you know, I think it's it's not exactly a hot take to say that I hope we never have to do this again. I hope you know, come next April, there will be fans in the stands and, you know, everyone can kind of enjoy baseball in, in New York and elsewhere going forward. But it was it was surreal. There, there's no other way to describe it other than that. Any well, plans for a second book, a different book, with a different person, maybe? We'll see. That was a lot of work, man. So, yeah. uh, you know, maybe sometime down the line. Uh, and, you know, I, I will say this. Writing one book is something that maybe was on a career bucket list, um, but I wasn't going to do it just to do it. I, it had to be something that I was interested in and engaged in and passionate about. And, you know, because of my relationship with David and the respect that I have for him, that was this was it. So if that opportunity pops up with uh, some other topic in the future, absolutely, I'll pursue it. But, uh, you know, I'm not the type of guy that I'm going to do it just to do it because uh, it, it was a lot of work. <laughs> Check out the book. Check him out on MLB.com. You also see him on SNY, MLB Network, and he's on Twitter, at uh, Anthony DeComo. Simple. Anthony, man, our, our thanks for joining us here to talk about the book a little bit. I know Beggs can't wait to get his hands on it, and, uh, and I hope we'll talk down the road sometime soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Anthony DeComo with us here, Bags on Honorado and Bag Nardi. All right, Shawnee, hey. Games tonight, man. And I know you've got a prediction about what we might see happen tonight in the ALCS and NLCS. That was fun with Anthony. More here on Major League Baseball back after this on Honorado and Bagnardi. Depressed, overworked, job sucks, underappreciated. When life sucks, just say Dillagat. Our clothing line puts the FU back into fun. Nothing will give you greater satisfaction. Dillagat isn't just an attitude, it's a lifestyle. Some people ride the crazy train, we drive that mother. Check out our selection at DillaGaffUSA.com.
Back on Andrade and Bagnardi. Shawnee, you heard the doorbell. Yeah. You heard this guy. Yeah. This is Rue. This is who? Rue? Rue. We're dog sitting for a week. Our next door neighbor's dog. He's been great. But as any dog would, he gets a little excitable when the doorbell rings unexpectedly. You have a delivery? No. <laughs> no delivery? Well, I don't know. I haven't had a chance to go to the door. Oh. All right. Isn't Ash home? No. Ashley's working. Oh, so it could be anything in there. It could be you. Could have, somebody could be outside right now trying to get in the show. <laughs> that's true. It could be a surprise guest that we didn't know we had booked. So I'm on Rue duty today. So yeah, that's Rue. Let's. Can we see Rue one more time? There he is. Yeah, that's a, that is a cute dog. Yeah, he's a good boy. Now Rue doesn't like um, wooded, uncarpeted steps, right? So just wood okay. steps. So our steps leading upstairs. Uh, are not carpeted. Yeah. So when it's time to, to go to bed, you have to carry Rue upstairs. Sure. Very high maintenance. <laughs> and you do because you have to. You can't not be in the bed. Right. You can't leave him downstairs. Now, has dogs sitting at all um, swayed you as to whether or not you want to be a pet owner? I think I'd rather have kids. Oh, my God. This is <laughs> I mean about... You are just crazy. You are nuts. You are nuts. Here's the thing with, and I, I get it, kids, you have to be around them 100% of the time. Animals, you don't. Um, but with a dog, even when we're dog sitting, you've got to plan your whole day around, okay, I got to get back to let the dog out. I got to get back. Can I stop before going to this game at work so we can walk the dog? One eighth. That's one eighth. Oh, have the planning you'd have to do if you had a kid. I know. Okay. You're right. You're right. I love dogs. I've always loved dogs. If somebody asks us to dog sit, Ashley's always the first person to say yes, and then I'm going to do it no matter what. But but I love dogs. I do. Okay. Uh, you'll read the book. Yes. Right? The Captain? Yes. About David Wright? Of course. How could you not? I mean, I'm going to read the book. And as you know, I'm not the biggest Mets fan on the planet, but... How do you not admire what David Wright's career was, right? And I and I tried to draw the comparison between he and Degrom only because, I mean, and Degrom's career, even Shawnee, is is a beyond Wright's. He's a back-to-back -back Cy Young Award winner. Right. I know, um, but two all-time great players who just were never on great teams. Uh, not never. I mean, you know, one. Look at the World Series, yeah. They, they were, you're right, they were good teams, not great teams. Um, they were just missing one or two things from really going to that next level, which was always unfortunate. And it is, it's a good point that you bring up because it is what I worry about right now with DeGrom. <clears throat> because you if you look back, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, on DeGrom's prime and we did nothing with it, we don't get one championship out of it. That's going to hurt, man. Yeah. What, what a waste. And a lot of players go through that. I mean, there are a lot of great players who never win a championship in every sport, right? But to be as dominant as he is, to, to, to waste that, to not get him one ring would really hurt. So I'm hoping the Mets can get it together pretty soon because they've got enough decent young pieces in place with Alonzo and Conforto and McNeil and you know, maybe Rosario, you know, they've, they've got enough where if 
the starting pitching can stay healthy and, and you can have DeGrom and Cindergaard be good. And Anthony talked about having to add to that. They're not, it's not like they're a million miles away. It's not like they have to start over. They've got enough there, maybe in the new ownership, you know, maybe you, you inject just enough in the right places to where you can get yourself at least one ring for this guy. Because otherwise, if you don't, it is going to really sting because it always stings now with Wright not having that. Tampa's one win away from the World Series. Atlanta is one win away from the World Series. Both LCS happening tonight. Bags, uh, your impressions from what you've seen so far here, as you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm locked into the Braves, man. And, and don't interrupt what's happening during a game. Even when it was 15-1, I think I made it seven or eight innings. I made Ashley watch way too much of that game. But I was curious to see how the Braves handled their bullpen, knowing it was a lost cause. Do we burn arms? Do we get guys to just get us some outs? I wanted to see what the Dodgers did too. How are they going to handle their bullpen, knowing this could still be a long series? And then last night was just a really good baseball game because it was low scoring. Then Atlanta really came on with a six-run inning. Uh, and that was obviously, as a fan, fun to watch. And it's it's hard for me to believe that as great a favorite as the Dodgers were going into this series, that the Braves are now one win away. You really played with fire there at the end of game two, okay? And I thought, you know what? doesn't matter. They got the win. It's okay. And everybody was saying, or a lot of people were saying, yeah, but the Dodgers woke up. And yep. I was yeah, but if they're down 2-0, it's, it's baseball. Next game could be totally different, and it wasn't. The Dodgers did continue that momentum. They put up a million runs, and I thought, boy, maybe they did wake up. But, again, it's still baseball, and it was a great job by Atlanta to bounce back, but every game is unique. Every game is its own thing, and we've seen that with the Houston series and now yes they've gained a little bit of momentum but you can't that what they've done the last two nights you cannot tell me that it means there's no chance that the, you know the Tampa Bay won't close out the series today right it's baseball but a good job by your Braves team because if they if it goes 2-2 there and the Dodgers keep that going you know it just it maybe it, it's it's about a little bit level of doubt that can creep into your own mind. So that was an important win for them, but they can't relax either because it's baseball. The Dodgers can now come back and, and, and get it three to two. Yeah. Cause I think, and I'm with you ordinarily momentum doesn't really exist. Like everybody says you're only as good as your next day's pitcher. And I, I, I'm with you that I, I'm not a big believer in momentum in baseball from right. one game to the next. But, but that basketball. Yeah, but, but Tony, that's because there are other factors aside from the next day's starting pitcher ordinarily at play. And that's travel, mm -hmm. a different ballpark, a different hotel, a different bed. This is all in one stadium. You play every single day. There are no days off where momentum could lag. This is from one day into the next. You're in the same hotel every single night. The dimensions of the ballpark are the same every single day. They stupidly opened the roof last night, and I couldn't figure out why. I had basically a tornado going through Arlington, Texas early on in that game. But I, I've really felt like, and I didn't expect it. I didn't even think about it until I saw game two carry over to game three, and I thought, 
Well, of course there's momentum at play here because the venue hasn't changed. They haven't traveled. There are no days off. Like, yeah, the Dodgers went to bed after game two thinking really good things about themselves. They woke up the very next day and we're going to play a baseball game against the same team and against even lesser starting pitching. And of course, what happened yesterday? And what happened yesterday? I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not going to say it's going to last an entire series, but I believe that in two or three day stretches, momentum could be a real thing this year. Next day starting pitcher. It's a different, it's a different look. It's a totally different approach. There's, you know, different scouting report on a guy. It just changes too quickly in baseball. It's not basketball or hockey where you can kind of get that. It's baseball. It's a different, it's a different guy on the hill. It's a totally different offensive approach. It would be like if you were playing against a completely different defense in football. Mm-hmm. Are you uh, you want to go bank on it now, or yeah, you got throw it up. put it up, or you got a little something you want to get off your chest first? Well, I'll do that after. Roll the open. You got it. All right. Presented by Capcom, Chris. As we know, it's not credit union on it. You know, it's bank. They're not really a bank or credit union. Whatever. It still works. I love it. All right. My bank on it. Both league championship series will end today. Bank on it. Braves win. Rays win. That's your World Series matchup. Both teams find a way to close out the respective series tonight. Now, if I was going to pick one team, if you forced me to pick one who would extend the series, I would actually pick Houston to Mm. seven. But I'm saying bank on it. Both these series end tonight, and it'll be the Braves and the Rays in the World Series. And there will be a collective round of tears from Major League Baseball's offices and Fox executives that they didn't get at least the Dodgers through the number two media market in the country. But I think deep down, if you asked a TV executive right now, what's your dream matchup? It would be Houston and L.A. Because you'd bring back everything from 2017. You'd bring back the garbage can banging. You would... You would tab it as redemption for the Dodgers if they're able to win. It's it's good versus evil. Yep. Houston's the villain. L.A. is Hollywood and the star. Not and you know, Tampa Not and Atlanta. Yeah, because you know why? These two teams are better. The Rays are better than Houston. I mean, they're they're clearly better. I know the last two two days have not gone their way. Tampa Bay is a better team, and frankly, Atlanta has shown they are as well. Yeah. So yeah. the better teams in seven game series usually win more so in other sports. I think more, you know, more so in basketball than in baseball. But these two teams are the better teams and they're going to lock it down. And tonight's going to be the night for each other. Thank you. Brought to you by Capcom Federal Credit Union. Shawnee and I have had a great experience with Capcom. They helped us get this small business and this show off the ground financially uh, our thanks to Capcom with 11 different branches in the capital region check them out for I know you say all your banking needs I'm gonna say all your banking needs they are a credit union but Capcom is certainly the way to go Shawnee and I know how great they are 
yeah, you walk into any Capcom, it, it is it's an environment you want to be in, right? You don't feel, first of all, you're not like intimidated or anything like that, but it, you know, it's, everybody's super nice, all that stuff that you would expect from any business, but, and you don't always get from any business, but you do with Capcom and everything is like modern and clean. It's just a good environment, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And we're not bringing a lot of money to the table. They're happy right. to take us on anyway. Exactly. Right. All thanks to Capcom. It's Friday. I'm not working today, Bags. And we've got a big game tonight with the Braves and a big weekend ahead with the NFL. So yep. you know where I'm going right after the show. And that's Exit 9 Wine and Liquor. Yeah. Um, you know where I'm going right now? I'm going on a little mini, just a, just a mini rant. Okay. Oh, okay. These baseball games, you teased it. These baseball games are taking a ridiculous amount of time to complete. I, I, I mean, it is absurd how long these baseball games take. Baseball has got to address this because I think people are going to give up on these games. I really do. As good as some of these games have been and as exciting as they've been, Who's sticking through a lot of this unless you are a diehard baseball person? And look, for baseball right now, I don't think the diehards are enough. I think you need some of the other folks to be able to stick around. You know, the, the people who, oh, it's it's the play. Oh, this decides the World Series. Okay, I, I could tune into that. I can get behind that. That's interesting. I don't see those people sticking through any of these games because of how long they take. If you're taking – Four hours, four plus, nearly four and a half hours to complete a baseball game that's not going to extra innings, you've got a huge problem. And just watch, just pay attention for one inning when you watch these games tonight, for one inning, how long it takes in between pitches. That is the real problem. You can implement all these things you want about. Uh, let's have a guy have to face three batters when he comes in and out of the bullpen so that we don't have another pitching change, you know, back to bat. No, that has nothing to do with anything. Watch how long it takes for the pitcher after he catches the ball from the catcher to throw it back to the catcher. It's ridiculous. These guys are walking around. The batters are farting around in the box. Guys are adjusting their hats. They're adjusting their shirts. They're spitting. They're sighing. They're hemming and hawing. Throw the damn ball. That is your job. You are a pitcher. Take the ball back, go back to where you belong on the mound, get the sign, throw the damn ball. It takes too long, and if baseball is going to have playoff games take four, four and a half hours, it is going to kill the sport. It's already killing it, and it's only going to get worse. And the abundance of runs that we've seen this October, too, I mean, it, it's fun, but it, it does just simply add on to it the is. length of the game. Brave Braves played a game that lost 15-3 a couple nights ago. It went four hours and 12 minutes or something like that. And that's a blowout. Like in football terms, the winning team is running the ball. And yep. the losing team realizes we're not going to win. And I'm not saying you still don't try to win a baseball game, even though you're getting blown out. But it, a, a blowout shouldn't take four hours and 12 or 17 yeah. minutes. The heck it was. Yeah, that really long first inning. So you're already playing from behind in terms of the time. Yeah, okay. But yes, like in basketball, it's you 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 bleed out the shot clock, right? It's the same thing. Football, you said you run the ball. Baseball, like, come on. 
to just catch the ball and throw. You know how much thinking about it do you have to do when you're down 14 runs in a game? Like, come on. Like, Here's the other problem. If if you do and you said focus in on on a particular half inning and just yeah. pay close attention to it, bags the amount of pitches that are thrown every single inning, even if runs aren't scored. Yeah, I know. But Walker, that's not that. Yes, it does. It won't make the. You're saying it doesn't make the game longer. No, no, it does. But I'm saying that's that's part of the game. Like, and, and I know you're going to say you know counts are going too deep and say you know I, and I understand that and guys like can't find the strike zone and there are too many walks at times. But at least that's like at least that's the game. Okay, the stuff in between that's just BS, man. And if you cut out that BS. And like that adds up. Think of you said it, there's a lot of pitches, right? You add up all that time in between the pitches, multiply that by all the pitches thrown in the game. That's yeah. where the game is long. Nowhere else. That's where it really kills you. And you take a three-hour game and make it a four-hour game. Yeah. I know. It's it's just frustrating to see so many pitches thrown out of the strike zone. Waskar Noah came in for the Braves in that blowout loss to the Dodgers. He was a lot and, and look, he did a good job. But he was lauded by Joe Buck and John Smoltz because he threw four or five shutout innings. But he walked five guys. Come on. Okay, that's part of the game, though. Like, Not a good game. Not a good game. Maybe you work around a guy to get to a guy you're more comfortable facing. And look, you give up no runs, I'm not going to begrudge how you get there as a pitcher. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. All right, games tonight. I'm ready to go. Fired up. Nine o'clock. Will I make it till the end if it's over at one a.m.? Questionable. Very questionable. No, if this is if it's a game, you you damn well will. And if it's a blowout over the Braves, you will because then right. you're paying your ticket, man. So yeah. good luck tonight. Thank you, buddy. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for watching. Uh, we're back next week, Tuesday morning, ten o'clock from Druthers Brewing Company in Saratoga, live on location, man. We are doing it safely, but we are still breaking out a little bit in the pandemic, which I'm, I'm fired up about to promote a really good cause with Real Men Wear Pink and Druthers. Look for us on Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern, from Druthers Brewing Company in Saratoga. Bags, have a good weekend, bud. You too, sir. Looking forward to that mac and cheese next week. Ooh, yeah. And remember, you said Jets and Giants both win Sunday. Keep your eyes on that. See ya.